So we're in Matthew chapter 13. We've got all of that set there. And now I'd like to do something really important. So Glenn and Dee have been uh, attending our church for what, like seven, eight years, something like that, right? Is that, I can't see it from here. My eyes are, yeah. So <laughs> quite a few years. And uh, they're just total blessing to our church. Um, if you, it, it, Glenn is probably the more vocal side of, of things. <laughs> But but just so you know, he's only half of that package there. And, and as a team, they're, Glenn and Dee are absolutely amazing. Uh, you may have been thrown off by Glenn with his over-enthusiastic, Hey! Or maybe as we worship the Lord as the years have gone on, you're like, who's that guy that's just worshiping? Listen, Glenn doesn't care that you hear him worshiping because he's not worshiping you. He's worshiping God, right? And I've always appreciated that. I've appreciated how, how for both of them, they, they're very buoyant. And what I mean by that is they float up above the circumstances of life in lots of ways. Where most people would be discouraged or see the glass half empty, they're like, the glass is overflowing. And I just have always appreciated that about them. Which is why um, today is not a hard day. I think it's an exciting day. But I wanted you as a church to know because they're not going to be around as much. And, you know, sometimes we're a family here. Sometimes you start to wonder, where'd they go? I wonder, they probably got mad at Pastor Jim. I mean, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And they probably just left in anger. Um, you know, what's really exciting is Glenn and Dee are going to be serving the Lord as they have here. They're going to continue to serve at the Manila Community Church of God um, right out on the, right out of Manila, not too far away from us. But there's so many un reached people right out there. In fact, we have Pastor Larry here as well from the church. We're really glad to have you as well. And what we want to do, church, here is we want to send them off. And what I mean by that is we want to pray for them as they go. See, if somebody's heading off, they're going to serve the Lord and we've known them for a while. We don't want like, oh, just go out the back door. Just keep it quiet and we don't want to see you again. And by the way, I'm really mad, especially you, you, Pastor Larry. I'm so mad that you've stolen people from... Listen, here's what you need to know. It's not my church. It's not Pastor Larry's church. There's no dotted lines around Humboldt County about it's God's church. God chooses how he moves people and when he moves people. And what I've just, I'm really excited for is how Glenn and Dee will continue to grow and how God's ministry out there in Manila will continue to grow and reach the people in Manila. And so with all of that said, um, why don't, Glenn and Dee, would you stand? And, and church body, would you stand? Let's lay hands upon them. And let's pray for them. I'm going to ask Pastor Joe to, and uh, John Packer as well. If you two gentlemen wouldn't mind just praying for our brother, or dear brother and sister here as we agree. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glenn and Dee, we love you guys very, very much. You know, interesting thing, church, um, for God to do a work here in Humboldt County, which I believe he is doing and he's going to continue to do. Here's what it's going to look like. It's not going to happen through one single fellowship here in our community. It's going to happen through multiple ones at the same time. And so it's just really important for us to realize that, you know, Telios Christian Fellowship is just one small piece of what God's doing here in Humboldt County. And we're really excited to see, realize this, it's to our benefits to have every church in our community be healthy, teaching the word of God and loving people for Christ. That's God's plan for our community here. So we can do our part. And what we've just seen is what normally should happen as people continue to grow and fellowship in the church. God will send them off to areas that are underreached or areas that just need more of the light of Christ. And that's the normal flow of things. You know, sometimes there's a temptation of like, oh, we just want to keep everybody. We want to just kind of get the all-star team all together and just, that's never how it was designed to be. Never how it was designed to be. 
We grow in our walk with the Lord and the Lord sends us out. For my wife and I, for me to come to know the Lord in Arizona, what am I doing here? The Lord said, go out to Arcata, California. And so don't be surprised for you if at some point in your life, God continues to send you out. And don't resist it. I just encourage you, don't resist it. Because will it be challenging? Oh, I guarantee you it'll be challenging. Will you grow? Like never before. Like never before. Don't be afraid to be challenged by God and to take a step of faith. So really appreciate you guys not just saying it, Glenn and Dee, but showing it with your actions. Total blessing. All right, well, here we are. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. By the way, we don't normally do that uh, before service, so I just... Uh, uh, it's just exciting. So Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 31 and 32. We're just going to do an amazing two verses this morning. But then I thought, you know what? We've got to pick up the pace just a little bit here. So we're going to do three verses this morning. We'll add, we'll add verse 33. We'll do three verses. So um, there we are. So um, this one, this message is called Small Beginnings. Small Beginnings. And we are continuing chapter 13 as Jesus is sharing through the parables and it's, it's just, this chapter 13 is full of parables. We're looking at seven parables here that Jesus is sharing. And as he shares these parables, we talked about how parables can do a few things. One, they can be a window to show us a glimpse of God's kingdom. Two, they can be a mirror that reflects us and we see who we are in the parable. And three, it's a door that invites us to have a relationship with God. A window, a mirror, a door. And these parables are meant to be understood by the listener. Now, we're a little bit separated by history and culture, so that's why the pastor spends minutes talking about three verses, because a lot of it we're looking at the things that the hearer would have known at that time. They would have just understood it. But we're going to kind of bring us all up to speed on what these things mean. So let's read two of these verses here. Matthew 13, verse 31, let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us, that it's alive and active, and that it's being sent forth today, and it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would then allow me to empower me to say what needs to be said and not say what doesn't need to be said. We pray for clarity this morning so that we would all know what we're supposed to do with your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. He, Jesus, put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Verse 32, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. All right. So here we are, just to talk about a quick parable. I mean, no intro, no outro, just a there. An observation, if you will. I think this is just an observation. It's not a story. It's an observation of the kingdom of heaven. This parable is also spoken of in the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke. And well, Pastor Jim, is there like more details in the other gospels? We've seen it in some other things when we've looked at the other gospels. Yeah, not so much. No, it's pretty much what we saw here in Matthew. Mark has this to say just before the parable. Maybe this will be a little bit of an addition. Mark chapter four, verse 30. And he said, Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? And then Jesus shares the parable of the mustard seed that we just read. So really just to tell us a little bit about God's kingdom, what is it going to be like? Wait, the perfect kingdom, the one that's going to come forever and ever? 
I think he's speaking of the one here on this earth, God's kingdom here on this earth. Now, great Bible scholars, wonderful Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, they've all come up with arguments on what this means. And the thing with the parable is, boy, does it open discussion. The last two parables, we didn't really have to try to figure out too much what it meant. Here's why. Jesus explained them. He gave us the explanation for those parables. Um, but on this one here, we don't see Jesus explaining it. And so here's some of the arguments. I want to give you the two arguments that people have. Some say that these two verses we just read are all about the growth of God's kingdom here on the earth. And the idea that God's kingdom is going to grow from something small to something very large. In fact, it'll encompass more than we could even imagine. And it's just going to cause global growth. In other words, uh, Christianity spreading throughout the globe and the globe, the people of the world overwhelmingly coming to know who Christ is. It's one side. The other side says this parable is the growth, speaks of the growth of Satan's influence within the church. Ooh, right? Like talk about like, and again, good Christians love Jesus have been on both sides of this uh, parable here. And so, you know, let's look at the first one here. This idea of growth in Christianity, the Christianity starting from something very, very small. Is that true? Oh, it's absolutely true. Think about it. Jesus coming here, God in the flesh coming here to earth, sharing it with his disciples, primarily 12. And then as he shares it, think about how much the gospel has spread just from those disciples. I mean, for me directly, I can, we can, I can take our family that was lived in India and we can trace us knowing Christ from the fact that one disciple, one of those 12 named Thomas, traveled all the way to India and was martyred for Jesus in India. And because of that, Christianity came to India, which is why my grandparents are Christians and my As far as my family can go back, we've been Christians. Why? Because a Jewish guy decided to leave the comfort of his home country and went to a crazy country to go love the crazy people there so that some would know Christ, of whom I'm one. Has Christianity spread? Absolutely, Christianity has spread in an amazing way. Even the culture of their day and age. God planned everything perfectly until the time of jesus there were two things that were lacking one there wasn't a language that was known in the in the the world if you will and so for the roman empire to come in and for them to in in a sense standardize language so now you didn't have to know every individual language you can have the language of the empire and not only that the romans built these roman roads which connected so now you have infrastructure so that the gospel can be transmitted through a common language and can transmit itself over long distances because now roads have been built in ways that have never been built before in history. And some may just go, oh, that's just coincidence. Nothing is coincidence with God. The timing is absolutely the right moment. And so when the Jesus came and he died and he rose again and his disciples started to spread the word, it spread like wildfire. Oh, that means everybody agreed and loved it. Oh, no, no. It spread like wildfire as persecution was happening. And this is something that we've noticed about Christianity throughout history is it grows the most when it's under persecution. Now that should cause us to pause for just a moment here. What about here in our country? Do you understand why the growth of Christianity or let's just say the decline in numbers 
of those that say they're Christians, can you see how it could be related to extreme levels of comfort? Of, I'm good enough. I got it. Everything's good. I think in a country where we live with a lot of first world problems, we can forget the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and just think, hey, it's a good addition to my American life, but it's not the core of who I am. The thing is, you don't realize how much you need God when all you have is God. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ on this morning here that know that Christ is everything because Christ is all that they have. And you know where where Christianity can grow like wildfire is in situations like that. I'm not praying that we as a country would come under under persecution, but all I just have to say is if I look in history, it's only a matter of time before Christians come under persecution. Okay, so we're going to fight against it and we're going to... No, you're going to continue to share the love of Jesus Christ even as you're persecuted. Here's the interesting thing about persecution. Persecution reveals the true believer. Do you understand that anybody can be like, oh, I go, I'm a Christian, I go to church on Sundays, and it's just wonderful and it's great. Wait till persecution and we'll see who the Christians are. Then you see a person who is just put on the veneer of Christianity without the heart of it. And the one who truly, through and through, is a believer. It shows under persecution, under trial, and under these kind of circumstances. There was an early church father. His name was Tertullian. He lived in Africa, Roman Africa, a place called Carthage. And Tertullian, he was an author. He was possibly a lawyer, and he possibly was the son of a Roman centurion. So he had a lot of... um, influences in his life he wrote a um, not a book but a document called apologeticus and in apologeticus he made an argument here about the importance of this persecution and the effect that it's had on christianity i think we have this quote from tertullian here the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church as true believers in christ die for the faith not needlessly But in the process of I'm just going to share the Lord and I will not stop and I will take whatever consequence you put upon me, even if it means my life. Okay, we're going to kill them and it's going to stop Christianity. And what Tertullian noted was, no, you know what? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's causing the church to grow and seed itself and grow more and more and more. And so sometimes we see persecution or oh it's just so messed up that there's persecution of christianity in this world there's been persecution for christian against christianity from the beginning it's no new thing and honestly i don't think it's a matter of time before it shows up in our neighborhood if you will so do i argue with a person who says that this parable here could talk about the growth of god's kingdom I absolutely don't believe that at all. I mean, I I don't argue with that person at all. I think this parable could speak of, for sure, the growth of Christianity and God's kingdom here in this world. You know, in fact, if we look at the parables here, we can't separate these parables and just go, this one's isolated from every other one. Remember the parable of the sower. Two weeks ago, we looked at this. Very clearly, Jesus told us the seed was the word. It's the word of God. And so it's great. So if we want to know who God is and know Uh, be able to tell other people about who God is, we need to know the word of God. And so we need less and less messages that are self-help, you know, good worldly thinking. We need more messages and sermons that that actually have God's word in them. Charles Spurgeon said this. I thought this was an awesome quote. I didn't know where it would fit until this week's message. I thought this is really good. 
If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's word into our sermons. The word of God is the seed. You know, and, and that seed can do so much and so much can grow from it. But I'm going to say something to you that you may get a little thrown back by, but let me finish my thought here. Here it is. We need more than just God's word to be effective here in this world. Wait, hold on. Are you discounting God's word? Not at all. Absolutely not at all. But we need something more. We need something in addition to God's word to truly be effective. How can you say that, pastor? What, what's, what's wrong with just having God's word? It tells me what to do. I'm just going to, it says to do this. It tells me to love people, to share the gospel. I'm just going to go read this and go do it. You could do that. Will you see some results? You'll see some results. But let me just tell you, there's a way to have way more results. What? How is that possible? For that, I'm just going to take you to Jesus because Jesus tells us, it's something that we should do here. It's in the Gospel of Luke, verse 24, uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. And Jesus says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now keep this in mind. The disciples have God's word. They've had Jesus walking with them. Jesus is the word of God. And so he's already told them what to do. But look what Jesus tells his followers. I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Do you see that? Jesus is saying you have the head knowledge to know what to do, but don't leave this city until you receive power that only comes from above. So you can know what the word of God says and just do what it says, but if you're not listening to what Jesus told his followers to do here, wait until you have the power that doesn't come from any place but from on high. What is this power he's talking about? Because at this point you may go, well, all I've been doing is just seeing what God says and then I just go do it. Let me encourage you to maybe add this to it, add what Jesus said to it, because this is really important. Who is this promise of the Father upon high? Jesus made this promise that he wasn't going to leave us as orphans, that he was going to send us a helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person who has emotions. He can be grieved. He can be overjoyed. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God for the believer to do what God has called you to do. Yes, you can read the Bible and just go, I'm going to do this and do this and do this. But you're going to do it in your own strength with limited results. But if you say, God, I want to do what you said with your power. Holy Spirit. And if you notice when I prayed before I started, and I do this often on a Sunday morning, Holy Spirit, help me do what I am called to do this morning. I don't want to teach with my strength because we will all be sorely disappointed. All of us will. And it won't be effective. But if I ask God the Holy Spirit to give me His power to do the work of God, then God has the invitation now to work through a person. And I just want to make you aware that maybe you've just been reading and doing and you should be reading and waiting and asking for power to then go do what God's called you to do. Let me show you something. Here's a little simple graph. It's about the Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit. For every human being on the planet, the Holy Spirit is in one of these three positions with them. And these are the three positions. The very first one, the word para in the Bible, it means the word with. The Holy Spirit is with you. You realize for every single human being on this planet, even the non-believer, for the non-believer, the Holy Spirit is with them. What does that mean? 
That person is there, the circle, the brown circle that says you. That's the person. And the Holy Spirit is the blue one right there. And until a person comes to know Christ, God the Holy Spirit walks alongside of the non-believer. God the Holy Spirit convicts the non-believer of the truth. God the Holy Spirit is the one that's like, oh, just my conscience is talking to me. No, that's called God the Holy Spirit. So for the non-believer, before you came to know Jesus, did you realize this, that God was with you? Para, he was with you, walking alongside you your whole life. And then if you're a believer, then there was a moment where you responded to the love of Christ and you asked Christ to dwell within you. And then Jesus, remember, he said he's going to give us a helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And the Bible uses the word and, which means in. The Holy Spirit goes from being just with you, alongside you, to coming in you. All right, that's all I need. Now, keep in mind, a non-believer, every non-believer, non-Christian is, is in the first category there. The Holy Spirit is with them. Now, if you're a Christian, you're in one of these two categories below. So we talked about the Holy Spirit being in us. That's good. I got him in us. I got him in me. That's good enough, right? Holy Spirit inside. Mm-mm. That's not... That's not what Jesus is talking about here when we just read it. He said to wait in that city, to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, until power comes upon you from on high. That's the Greek word epi. And it's the epi experience. The epi experience is, no, the Holy Spirit isn't in you. You don't contain the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overcomes you. The Holy Spirit now encompasses you. And now you have the power. This epi experience is what Jesus told the disciples to wait for. Do not go out and do the work of the ministry without first waiting for the power of God to come upon you. And so when we think about this idea of this parable, this seed, the seed is the word of God. That's good. But for the seed to really grow in ways that are above and beyond, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. How do I do this? What's the secret words that I... There's no secret words. You just... Now that you know, you say, God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon me. Cool. It's a one and done thing, right? So I prayed this morning on the last day of March in 2019 and I'm good for the rest of my life. No, 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 because uh, we, we as believers, we forget very often and we need to ask the Lord for the power of his Holy Spirit afresh. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. God, I don't want your power from, oh, I had this amazing thing that God did in my life 25 years ago. Okay, welcome to 2019 though. What has God done in this century in your life? Like what has God done in the 21st century? We need to ask the Lord to have, to, to pour himself upon us in a new and fresh way. Okay, well, how often do, can I pray that? As often as you need it. And, and last time I checked, I need it often. Don't start to embark on something for the Lord without first asking him for his power. Don't do it. And I'm not making this up. We just read about Jesus telling his own followers not to do it until he waited. And what does it look like when we as believers wait upon God's power to come upon us? What kind of growth can come from something so small? I take you to the the book of Acts. And we're going to look through this story very quickly here. But in the book of Acts, they listen to what Jesus said. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. They didn't leave the city yet. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. Something extremely supernatural and amazing. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the 
Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. All these Jews had come in for Pentecost from all these nations. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So this speaking of tongues wasn't speaking in some unintelligible language. They were actually speaking languages that people could understand. And verse seven, it says, they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? Oh, Holy Spirit power. The Holy Spirit empowered believers to speak in a language that the listeners would understand, even though the speakers didn't know the language themselves. And who were some of these people? How, what countries did they come from or areas did they come from? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and resi- residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, what are they speaking of? The mighty works of God. Wow. I mean, how many courses did they, how many Rosetta Stone classes would they have had to take to be able to learn all of these? Well, I'm going to listen to a bunch of TED Talks and I'm going to get all this info in my head and then I'll go, you don't need, you know what you need? You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to do the work of God in ways that will surpass what you can even comprehend God doing in your life. I think sometimes we just get so like checklist oriented. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And it's all about our strength and our knowledge and our How can we do God's work without God's power? How can we do God's work without God's power? And if you want to see what the result of of these people speaking the words of God were, uh, Paul gives a, uh, sorry, Peter gives a sermon at the very end of his sermon, I want you to see what happened in Acts chapter two, verse 40 and 41. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Wow, that's a real popular sermon message. Well, look at what the power of the Holy Spirit does through that message. Verse 41 So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people in one day because of human strength and human wisdom? No, because of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, it's not just like this quick, like fireworks um, um, fruit. The fruit lasts. And it continues to grow. And we see that later in the book of Acts, Acts 2, verse 45 and 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Good marketing added day by day to those that were being saved. Persuasive speech added day by day. Good sound system added day by day. The Lord added to their number. God's power to do God's work, God's way. Maybe you just haven't asked God for his power. Maybe you're just struggling because you're like, I know what his word says and I'm trying to do it. But the thing is, you're trying in your own strength. You haven't actually asked God for his power to do his work. I just encourage you to do that. So this pastor doesn't disagree with those that would say that this parable speaks of the growth of the church from a small, tiny little thing. In fact, the the cover screen or the title screen shows a mustard seed on the edge of a, uh, on the tip of a finger. It's a tiny little seed. It's the smallest herb. It's not the smallest seed. Even the, the believers of their time would have understood that, you know, even like an orchid seed or there's other seeds that are much smaller. But as far as the herbs go, it's the smallest seed. And it goes from being something so small to, 
we can't think of mustard like the yellow mustard you have that comes out of a bottle. That's not what we're talking about here. It has this bush that can grow. And in some cases, it can grow to the point where you can walk underneath it. I think we might even have a mustard tree um, pitcher, which is kind of... Um, uh, it, 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 it's hard to see, but it doesn't have a trunk so much as they're like viney kind of, a, and it's, it's, it's existed for a little while here to get to this height. And it's big enough that you can kind of walk underneath it, but it's really a bush. It's not supposed to be a tree. And Jesus is saying this, that you could have something that grows like that, that comes out of something so small. And just talks about the growth of Christianity. You can't stop Christianity from growing. You can't stop the truth of God's word. But can we look at the other side of it? And oh, also I want to show you this really nice picture because I think this is the idealized picture of what a person who fully believes that this parable is all about um, the growth of the church. It's kind of like this. See all these wonderful, like the trees growing. There's like a heart. There's a heart right here in the tree and it's growing and there's birds. It looks very happy. It looks very happy, right? Okay. I think that picture kind of summarizes what a person who goes, it's all about the growth of the church and that's what this parable means. I think that's how they would look at it. Awesome. So, but we have to say, hold on, why is there another side to it? Why are there people that are saying that this parable has to do with the growth of the enemy, how the enemy is going to try to infiltrate the church and how the enemy is going to have his influence within the church? Why would people say that? Well, let's, let's, read, the, um, let's read that one more time here, uh, verse 31 and 32. He put a parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And now let's read this extra bonus verse, right? Because we had to put one more verse. And let's put verse 33 in. Look at this one, Matthew 13, verse 33. Right afterwards, Jesus says, and he told them another parable. And this is a one verse parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And, you know, I can tell sometimes you could look at a parable and go, it's kind of like a fortune cookie thing where I'm like, I don't really know what we're talking about here. I'm not sure what that means. But I don't think that's supposed to be taken in isolation. I believe these parables, you can't just look at one and go, I'm going to come up with what it means. I think because Jesus explained two of them so far, we're supposed to take what he's already told us and apply it to the other stories, the parables that he's telling us here. And so we see now we're going from a seed to leaven or yeast. This pastor has a, um, it's not unhealthy obsession. You could ask my family if it's an unhealthy obsession, but an obsession that has taken over my life in the last two weeks for pizza. <laughs> and here's the thing. It's, it's about the science of pizza, as crazy as this sounds. Like, born and raised in New York, like, I understand what a piece of pizza is. The, those in Chicago could, will, will have their own things. There's Detroit pizza. I get it. All right, fine. So... Anyway, getting back to pizza here. Um, yeah, Detroit pizza. You got to look it up. It's pretty amazing. So uh, but anyway, so this pizza obsession is, I just thought, you know what? I just had this hankering for a slice of pizza, like in New York, like fold it and, you know, it's just okay. Just go with me here. Fold it in half and the oil's just dripping down your elbow and dripping off the, oh yeah, it's good. It's all good for you. So... <laughs> And you just, oh, it's just amazing. But anyway, all that to say, I'm like craving like pizza. But then I'm like, you know what? I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be so soft on the bottom. I like a little bit of crunch on the bottom. I know we're getting, you know, it's still away from lunch, but hopefully you ate breakfast. So then I want to eat this slice of pizza. I want it to have this obsession. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try to make pizza in our house. 
which has started me on this whole thing. And the biggest part of it that it's got me on is I never understood how yeast actually works until I'm an adult two weeks ago. I honestly didn't understand. I don't do a lot of baking, okay? I don't understand all this stuff. So all of a sudden, I'm just like watching videos and I've got dough and I'm like, Don, we need yeast. And my wife's like, here we go. He's on his own. Like, this is, now we're, now we're baking. Okay, now we're making dough. And there I am. I'm like, gotta need this dough for 10 minutes. Like, we're, this is hard work. No wonder people have those really cool mixers. I understand now. But then some of the appreciation of like, okay, the yeast, like, the organisms in there, like can you add water, don't, it never worked for me in the past when I added yeast because the water would be too cold or I'd be like, oh, I'll just nuke some water and then pour it in there. And I burned and killed all these, you know, little creatures in there. They're dead now, right? They're gone. So I started to look at them like, how does yeast actually work? And then my kids were like, yeast, you mean, I'm like, it's alive, you guys watch it. It's alive. And so we're staring at this, this dough that's now slowly rising and these bubbles. It's like, it's alive. Do you smell it? That's yeast. That's, it's doing stuff. It's alive. That's why you get those little pockets in, in bread. And it's just, so now I'm just fascinated by this. And uh, my family gets to experience the trials and errors. But you know what? It's pizza. So trials and errors, it's okay. It's fine. It, we'll work through it. We'll, we'll somehow make it through. So we're on the journey to try to make just the right pizza there at our house. Well, all this to say in how this parable works, it doesn't take a lot of yeast. It does not take a lot of yeast. I made the mistake of, um, I, I got my measurements wrong. <laughs> And I thought, uh, it said like, you know, you needed three quarters of a tablespoon. And in my mind, I had three quarters of an ounce. Three quarters of an ounce of yeast is a way more than three quarters of a tablespoon. Way more. So I'm like buying packets of yeast. And my wife's like, are you sure you need that much yeast? I'm like, that's what it says, three quarters of an ounce. And thankfully, thankfully, before I opened up like packet number two, three, four, and five, I was like, whoa. I've got to get my measurements right. Three quarters of a tablespoon. I'm like, oh, that's not actually a lot at all. And we poured it in there and sure enough, it worked what it was supposed to do. If I had put in three or four pack full blown, like we would have had like an, you know, pizza cake that would have flattened itself kind of a thing. And I think this parable here, it's speaking of a woman who, it's interesting because it seems to be done in secret. She took and hid. So there's something about this that is a little bit of subterfuge, a little bit of like, hidden secret thing that's going on here. This woman takes some yeast and hides it in a bunch of flour, like mixes it in with the flour so that when the flour is made, it's going to rise. There's something secretive that's done here, something that's not above boards. And the thing in the Bible, and we look consistently, we look at this, you know, uh, constancy in the Bible. Like if we see something, how does it look in other places in the Bible? Yeast, not always, but very often in the Bible is a symbol of sin. If we go all the way back to the Old Testament, um, there were plagues coming upon Egypt. The children of Egypt were not, the Pharaoh was not going to let the, the people go. And then the last plague happens, the plague of the firstborn. Firstborn children are killed. The Egyptian children are killed. And the Egyptians at this point are like, get them out of here. Make them leave. And God tells his children, here's what you need to do. You need to leave. But when you leave, the bread that you make, the bread that you make every day, you're going to make it differently on this day. I'll take you to Exodus chapter 12, verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes, which means without yeast, of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. They couldn't wait for it to rise. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So God told them to hurry up and don't add leaven. Don't add any yeast to your bread on this night because you're going to be leaving in a hurry. You're getting out of Egypt now. 
In fact, this was such a big deal, being freed from the slavery under Pharaoh, that the Jewish people remember this. There's, it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jews still remember this feast every year, and it's coming up April 19th of this year. It goes on for seven days. And for seven days, this Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they remember this event happening, um, leaving Egypt, the idea is for seven days, you go through your whole house and you sweep your house out and you get all the yeast out of your house. Why? Because the yeast represents sin. Get all the yeast out of your house. And so Jewish families, what they'll do, even in today's age, they will actually hide little pieces of bread in different parts of the house. And it's a game for the kids. Hey, kids, we've got to get all the yeast out of our house. We've got to clean it up. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We remember when God took us out of Egypt and the Jewish children will go through the house and look for bread that's hidden, hide and seek. And then they take all the bread, they take it outside and they burn it. Now, the thing with that is, it's great, awesome. We're going to get rid of all this sin. We're going to clear all of it out. Somebody at first service told me this. Some of the bakeries down in San Francisco, the yeast, there's so much yeast that's just airborne that they don't need to add yeast per se to their dough, that the dough will be leavened by the yeast that's just airborne in the bakery. And so the idea here is, oh, well, make sure you sweep out all the yeast. Here's the truth. You're never going to get all the yeast out. Never. Are you still supposed to sweep it out? Absolutely. And you took look at it. If you look at it as sin, hey, I'm supposed to deal with the sin in my life. Like I got to let God do that work. I got to be honest with God about it. You totally do. But let's be, let's be truthful here. You're never going to get rid of the sin in your life here in this life. So don't get discouraged. We're like, I swept that corner. I swept that area. Why am I now struggling with that again? Because Christ has not come back yet. That hasn't happened just yet, but when he comes back a second time and when he restores and renews us, then we can live in that life without sin. And we all look for that. But here in this life, we have to remember, even as hard as we try, sin is still an element of life. So this idea on this parable, the second parable about this woman that, you know, it took this leaven and hid it in three measures of flour It's actually a very sinister little parable. Sinister? It's a sinister story. Because what that woman is doing, that word there in Matthew 13, verse 33, took the leaven. Taking it, it's a word, it has a connotation. It means she took it by force or it wasn't given to her. She kind of was like, I'm going to take this real quick. I'm going to grab this leaven and I'm going to hide it. And the word for hide there is the Greek word encrypto, which we get the word encrypt encrypt from. So she's hiding secretively this yeast inside it says three measures of flour you and i are just going to go three measures who cares like what does that matter the jewish person listening to that would have been like whoa three measures of flour see three measures of flour is enough to you know a typical a loaf of bread uses like three cups of flour fine three measures of flour would give you 11 loaves of bread so this woman whoever this woman is, secretively took the yeast and put it in the flour. So it's all mixed and you can't tell the yeast from the flour now. How much flour? Enough flour to make 11 loaves of bread. The Jewish listener would go, that is a lot of bread. No way. She's trying to sabotage this. Because 11 loaves of bread, that's because you're having some type of large party or large community meal. This woman is trying to sabotage a large community meal meal she's trying to take something and the yeast is now mixed with the flour and you can't tell the difference between the two and you won't tell the difference until you start to 
set the dough with the water and all of a sudden it starts to rise. And you go, wait, I didn't put yeast in this. Why is there yeast in this? And what Jesus is sharing here, he's sharing the truth of how there is sin in this world. And I do agree with the second group of people. Remember I said the first group of people think that the church grew from something small to something big. That's what the parable means. I agree with that. But I also agree with the second one, that as the church grows, it also gives opportunity for the enemy to try to infiltrate the church. And see, I love this about Jesus. He doesn't try to sugarcoat life for us. He tells us the truth. He's letting us know that even in church growth, as the church grows, don't be surprised if the enemy is opportunistic and tries to plant make-believers within the church. Don't be surprised if he tries to put his birds in and around the church. Birds? Remember the parable we just saw before two weeks ago, the sower? Remember the birds? Jesus told us the birds were the evil one the evil one who eats the seed up off of the road. So here we are now, and Jesus talks about this this mustard tree that's growing and it's gonna just be amazing and the birds are gonna find nest in it. Do you understand what he means when he says the birds are gonna find nesting place in the tree? As the church grows, opportunistic people who don't love Jesus will come and try to mislead, cause disunity, gossip, slandering within the church. Jesus is not showing us that the church here on this earth is going to be perfect or sinless, but he wants his children to be aware of the reality of things. In fact, in Matthew 16, Jesus said this about the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of their day and age. Jesus said, how is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of their yeast. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, it doesn't take much false teaching to get inside of a church and all of a sudden people start to go, I wonder. It doesn't take uh, a much of stopping to teach God's word. And then, you know what, let's just talk about some worldly philosophy. Let's just talk about, you know, uh, some, some things that the world sees as important. And all of a sudden, if it's like, well, we'll take the world and we'll take the church and we'll mix it all together. Uh, that's not good. That's putting leaven within the flour. You don't want to do that. In the New Testament, we also see Paul speaking to the church in Galatia and he says this, maybe this verse makes more sense to you now. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It doesn't take much to uh, come in and have an effect on the body of Christ. And if that's, you know, if you're looking at that going, all right, is there another way to say that? The New Living Translation paraphrases this and says it this way. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. So I do believe that the enemy does grow as church grows. As church growth has happened, there's counterfeits that show up. There's make-believers that show up. In the eight years that I've been here, I have to say, as we get further on in years, there are more and more people that show up that have agendas, that have nothing to do with what the Lord wants. They see you as opportunities for their agenda to be fulfilled. For some, they see you with dollar signs. Oh, look, there's a lot of people at that church. So if I can pitch my idea, my sales thing. Uh, At a previous church that I went to in Arizona, we would have folks that would come by and they'd start taking their business cards and sticking business cards in the windows of the cars in the parking lot. And it's just like, so you track down the person and be like, dude, bad taste. Don't ever do that again. That's not what church is for. Like that's not, it's it's not, it's not a marketing thing. It's not for you to network. That's not what church is for. Ouch, I don't want to hear that. I just told it to you. That's not what church is for. And people use church for their own means. We just have to be aware of that. 
And so sometimes it is shameful, absolutely. And there's times where, you know, there's folks will sit across and I'm like, listen, I, I'm just new here to the church. I've got this really great idea. And it's like, how about you hang out for a little bit and get to know the church and we get to know you. One person recently that, you know, well, recently, it's been a few months now. Um, I, I just encourage him and this is what I'll do. I'll go, you know what? Hey, I'm, we're so glad you're here at the church. Love to see you get plugged in. Um, and they'd only come to one service, which is also another sign. Like I've got all these great ideas and I've only been here once. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, I said, why don't you stop by at our men's Bible study? It's on Thursday evenings at 6.30. A lot of guys who are really, you know, they know the Lord, love the Lord, and they're going to be opening the word of God. Why don't you show up there? And I think that'll be a great way for you to connect with the guys. And then come early at 6 a.m. and join the other guys as we pray on 6 a.m. on Tuesday. You'd be surprised how many people go, oh, that's cool. And then I never see them again. Because you're just testing it out, going, are you for real? If you're for real, then you'll be able to withstand any of these things and these you'll be able to be involved and you'll let people examine you and for you to examine other people. We just have to be wise about that thing. So here's the, I want, I want you to know, we're not going to be able to eliminate sin at the Telios Christian Fellowship completely. Sorry, if you were looking for a sinless church, we're not it. And neither is any other church. And so I think it's this, Jesus wants our expectations to be real. If you come to a church long enough, it's only a matter of time before you see sin. Don't discourage, don't get discouraged by that. You just keep doing what God's called you to do. You keep sharing the word and you keep loving people. And just realize, hey, God, if it wasn't for your grace, that would just be me as well. I'm not over that either. So we just need to be humble as we look at that. Here's a thought for you as well. You know, when we have communion, maybe you've been coming to church or you're a Christian, or you're a newer Christian. You know, we do communion every three, we remember the Lord's Supper every three, four weeks or so. We did it last Sunday. And you'll see the juice and the grape juice and you'll see the bread. And maybe you've wondered like, man, is this church is so cheap. Like, why are they so cheap? It's like cheap little like crackers, like saltines, but there's not even salt on them. They're like these like thin crackers. Like get some like buttery, fluffy bread or some Krispy Kremes. Like, why can't we use donuts? Like, why can't we, the sweetness of Jesus? Like, why can't we do that? Right? And the reason I'm saying this is because as a junior high leader years ago, we had some junior high kids. They, junior high kids asked awesome questions. They were like, hey, Jim, how come we don't have like donuts? Like if this is all symbolic, because we were able to teach them, like, listen, it's, it doesn't become his blood. It doesn't become his body. These symbolize his body and his blood. And so they're like, well, okay, we get why you don't want us to drink wine then. But they're like, why can't we have soda and donuts and just remember Jesus? And here's the thing. It's easy to laugh and dismiss that question, but that's actually a really good question. The reason why we don't use donuts or fluffy bread is because it has yeast in it yeast represents sin jesus lived a perfect sinless life this is why communion crackers are communion crackers they have no yeast in them it is important and this is why like as we the more we know god's word and the more we understand it you'll read these passages of scripture and you'll go oh i get it i see the yeast i understand what that is that's a picture of sin there you know, the, the, the thoughts I want you to, maybe a closing thought for you to, to, to keep here is this. I want to show you this picture. It's, it's that this parable is bracketed between another parable. If we can put up this uh, image here. So we've been doing a little bit of jumping back and forth through Matthew because we did tell the parable of the sower, but then we had to jump a whole bunch of verses ahead because we also wanted to talk about the explanation of the sower. So on one Sunday, we did the parable of the sower and the explanation of the sower. And now we're kind of going back to do the other parables, right? This is the order that we see it in the book of Matthew. Jesus gives us the parable of the sower. He explains the parable of the sower. And in between that, 
we learn about the, the mustard seed and the leaven, the yeast. I don't think that the mustard seed and the leaven parables are meant to be taken apart from the parable of the sower. I believe that it's intentionally bracketed between the, the parable and its explanation because we're supposed to look at the symbolism that's in the mustard seed and leaven parables and attach it to the sower. I believe that it's an expansion of the parable of the sower. It's not meant to contradict it. So that's why when Jesus says the bird, the birds that are um, taking the seed are the, are the evil one, the devil, then when we see birds, when it talks about the mustard seed growing into this thing, I think we're still talking about the same thing. I don't think Jesus would suddenly change the symbolism just a 13 verses in. I think he's going to stay consistent as he's teaching his people. And so that's why I've kind of come to the conclusion that I've come to, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to look at the parables and kind of wrestle with them and go, Lord, what does it mean? But as the worship team comes up now, I want to encourage you to do this. Maybe for you, you've been trying to do God's work with your own strength. And that'll never do. Maybe you've been trying to, you can't change people, but maybe you're like, I just, I wish this person would change. And so you just decide to raise your voice towards them. Or you try to, with your, with your wisdom or your human knowledge, try to out, you know, debate them. I just have to tell you, that's not going to work. What you need is God's Holy Spirit to give you the power to do what he's called you to do. We aren't going to be able to reach this community without the power of God's Holy Spirit. So church, let's pray together. Papa, as we come before you, we admit our deficiency. We have your word before us. We can read your word, but we can't do it without your strength. We can't forgive people without your strength. Maybe some people, but boy, there's some that uh, we just can't do it. They've hurt us too much. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we absolutely can. For some people, we don't have any patience. Our patience has come to an end. We're done with them. But that's because we're done with our own resources. God Holy Spirit, please fall afresh on us today. Please give us what we do not have to do what we are called to do. We want to do your work with your power, your way. We pray that we would not forget to ask you, Holy Spirit, for your power in everything we do in this life. We pray that we wouldn't look at anything as being too small to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bypass all of our limitations so that you could accomplish the work of God here in Humboldt County. We really pray that our hearts would match up with your heart, the way you feel about the people of Humboldt County. We pray that our hearts would break for them and not just pity them, but Lord, that we would be empathetic with them. Lord, I pray if there's any hard or stony ground that you would run your plow through us. Run your plow through it. Allow the waters, Holy Spirit, to soften the soil of our heart. We want to be receptive to what you're doing. We don't want you to come alongside of what we're doing. God, we want to come alongside of what you're doing. And you're doing something great here in Humboldt County. Thank you for telling us the truth, Jesus. Thank you for sharing the parables. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.